Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. This is Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network in conjunction with the Sampson Family Foundation, striving to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. Now here's Ralph and your host, Mac McDonald. Welcome in at Center Court on the Winter Circle Network. And uh, Ralph, I don't know how many NASCAR races you've been to, or if you've ever really, you know, been entrenched in the, you know, the likes of Jeff Gordon and Denny Hamlin. And uh, uh, but we've got we're going to learn some things about NASCAR today. It is, uh, you know, kind of the racing time of year. Mac, the only thing I know about NASCAR. Uh, when you first view NASCAR from a distance, it is very loud. <laughs> and the roar of the engine and the tire smell is not fun if you don't know what it's about. But I've been to one race yeah. and uh, seen some on television, but it's interesting in the pit. Well, I'm sure we'll get into that yeah. in the interview, but it's interesting to see how the pit crews work together. And it's really a team if you see it. And, you know, and they travel all over the country. But it's interesting to see NASCAR and today's guest is going to highlight that for us. And I'm interested in, in seeing all that he has to say. Yeah, Chris Powell, a good friend of mine. He was a sports writer. He covered you. Uh, he graduated from UNC in uh, 81, but he he wrote uh, for the Durham paper, wrote for UPI. And, uh, and then Chris ended up settling into NASCAR in Winston-Salem and then ended up getting hired to be the president of the Las Vegas Motor Speedway. And Chris was always into racing, very innovative with what he did. But Chris set me up a couple of times, you know, for my first race, but he set me up to be in the pits at a Richmond race with Dale Jarrett. Uh, it, it was it was so uh, entertaining and educational at the same time that when the pit crew turned a 13 second pit stop, I mean, they celebrated like they won a championship. And that's what, you know, you, it is a team thing, you know, from the driver to the crew chief to all the guys and the, the gas jockeys and the guys changing. Oh, man. It's, you know, it's a so lot of football. People. Yeah. A lot of football players change tires. I mean, they wow. get into the NASCAR because, and they, they have extensive workouts and extensive. Yeah. So it's, it's more of a, the culture of NASCAR has, has really been, you know, fascinating for so many years and the fan engagement. And if yeah. that's not enough, Chris will probably talk today about all the events that they have at the speedway. It's not just That's twice crazy. a year, you know, yeah, so, it's a big event, definitely a big event, but have you uh, ever driven a car? Have you ever stepped no, behind I, a wheel? I would love, I would love to, but I, I mean, I try to get in a couple of them, but you can't get in and ask car cars and all <laughs> That's that. That's probably true. You know, it's just totally different, but most uh, of the drivers, maybe most of the maybe. drivers like Jeff Gordon, only like five, nine, and, you know, exactly. but... <laughs> all tucked in another seat in the, in the, in the cage. And, uh, you can't get out of there once you, you're in there. You could be like Shaq and learn to drive from the back seat. That's what Shaq well, that's, a, that's not a NASCAR. You got to <laughs> soup it up a little bit. You know? Exactly. Chris Powell, the president and general manager of the Las Vegas Motor Speedway, will join us. We got a lot to cover. 
We'll be back after this, Center Court on the Winner's Circle Network. Hi, this is Mac McDonald, host of Center Court. I've known Ralph Sampson for over 40 years. I watched him grow as a basketball player, achieving greatness at the University of Virginia and at the professional level. I always admired his work ethic and the things he did to be the best. Since he founded the Sampson Family Foundation, so many people, young and old, have benefited from Ralph's efforts. The mission for the foundation is simple, striving to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. The foundation promotes charitable and community input, educational development, health and fitness, and scholarship opportunities. The Samson Family Foundation's initiatives focus on patients with cancer, educational scholarship programs, and give students guidance in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. If you'd like to learn more, call 540-615-5097. The website is Samson Family Foundation. Dot org. Uplift. Empower. Educate. It takes teamwork to make the dream work. We're really going to three wide. How aggressive will they be through the final turns? Benedetto in second. He drifts up the track a bit. Kurt Busch, the 2004 Cup champion, is going to win in his hometown. Bush wins in Vegas. You're listening to Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Once again, here's Ralph and Mac. Welcome in. It's Center Court on the Winter Circle Network. And, of course, with a racing weekend, uh, it, that means we have to talk rubbing and racing, Ralph. And uh, there's nobody to do it uh, better than the president general manager of Las Vegas Motor Speedway and a guy I've known for a long time who covered you, by the way, because he went from sports writer to NASCAR. His career has just uh, he's done such an outstanding job at Vegas and was with RJR and Winston-Salem for a lot of years. But uh, Chris Powell, welcome. It's uh, great to talk to you on a very busy racing uh, time of year, right? Mac and Ralph, I'm uh, thrilled to be here and been an admirer of, of both of you guys for many, many <laughs> for years. Wow. <laughs> too many years, too many years was good. Yeah, I don't know why you would my, admire me, but we've had uh, we've had a lot of football discussions, golf discussions. We've been on a golf course quite a bit, but but Ralph, the industry of of racing and what has happened, you know, is and and all that that's detailed. We love to talk leadership. We love to talk business. We love to talk marketing. And you know, who's done it better than NASCAR? And now, Chris, and and not to start on a downer, but NASCAR is facing some challenges, right? It really has uh, the the late eighties and the and the all through the nineties and into the early two thousands brought a tremendous amount of growth uh, to NASCAR. Uh, it actually exceeded uh, IndyCar back in the early nineties when when IndyCar broke up in about ninety three or ninety four, and NASCAR was right there, and uh, with with very popular drivers like Dale Earnhardt and Jeff Gordon. Mark Martin, Rusty Wallace, those guys were just household names to so many people. The sport continued to grow and then took a bit of a step back uh, like our entire country did back in around 2008 during the economic crash was also just happened to be the time when NASCAR brought in a new type of car. It was called the car of tomorrow and the racing was not nearly as good with that new car and uh, so, and and plus, it was also the advent. It was like a perfect storm, with 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 the economic crash. The car didn't provide quite as good a competition on the racetrack, and you also had the advent of the high definition television, where people could sit at home mm-hmm. and really enjoy all the 
almost all that you could enjoy at the racetrack. And so you started to see for the first time ever empty seats at a NASCAR race. And when people turn and see empty seats on television, they tend not to watch as, as much. And so it was like, it was a, it was a perfect storm and, and, and NASCAR had to sort of regroup and it took a decade or so because it was like the Titanic. You couldn't just turn it around in no time. Fortunately, the car that they have on the racetrack now is offering much better competition. The competitors on the racetrack recognize that they need to endear themselves more to the race fans. And so what you're seeing now is a bit more growth and it's good to see because, uh, NASCAR has had such a tremendous and, 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 and emotional tie with Americana over the past two to three decades. And, and uh, glad to see the sports growing again and, and uh, the TV ratings are up. Uh, they're going to be renegotiating a new TV deal here in the next year or so. And I think it's going to bring even more uh, vitality to the sport. And, and uh, so I, I think there are a lot of good things going on in NASCAR now after having a, a decade or so of some, mm -hmm. of some down years. All right, before we go too much further, you mentioned rubbing and racing. So all sports have all these little quotes and whatever. <laughs> uh, and I will get back to the racing in a second, whatever, because I went to one NASCAR race and it was very noisy. But <laughs> all the people out there, so, you know, the three-pointer, the three-seconds, what are some of the iconic because uh, Mac, you kind of dawned on me when you mentioned rubbing mm -hmm. and racing. Uh, what's some of the other inside the racing world type of things that you may be able to quote us here or, or speak about? Well, when when Fox began televising the sport nationally back in 2001, uh, Daryl Waltrip was one of the color commentators, and he came up with that old saying of boogity, 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 <laughs> and they dropped the green flag. And, you know, the, the sport, one of the things, Ralph, that the sport has really grown on is the fact that these competitors are such – the, the fans feel like they know them. They, yes. they, they, you know, similar to when you were playing at UVA and, and UVA fans, obviously they knew who Ralph and Lamp and Raker and Othell Wilson were, but they also knew who Al Wood and Phil Ford and all those guys were. I mean, you know, it's, it was, it's a bit of a different day in that, you know, back in those days, and it was the same thing in NASCAR. Uh, fans would cheer for, one thing they'd cheer for is, is the personality, the guy that was holding the steering wheel. And they'd also cheer. If you were a big Dale Earnhardt fan, that meant you by, you were a, a clearly a Chevrolet fan because Earnhardt drove Chevrolets. So if for some reason Earnhardt would go out of a race early, then that fan would sit and pull for his next favorite Chevrolet driver. Wow. And, and, and so you just had so much emotion Again, similar to what we experienced back in uh, ACC basketball back in the 80s, uh, 70s, 80s, 90s. Uh, so there's so much emotion. There's so much emotional tie between the people in the stands and the guys that are holding those steering wheels. And let's not forget, are risking their lives every Sunday afternoon mm -hmm. when, when 40 men and now women in some cases are competing on a, on a racetrack and, and – uh, Fortunately, the sport has not had near as much as many fatalities over the past 20 years because of the safety improvements that have come along. Uh, but but people recognize that these people are out there risk, risking their lives. And you really don't think about that as much in stick and ball sports. 
as you do in NASCAR and other forms of motorsports. So it, there's so much excitement and so much emotion. With NASCAR going through some issues from marketing and fans or whatever, and then they have to find a new way. Think about the NBA in the 80s that you talk about a lot. The NBA was going through some real you know, yes. tough problems, and they had to make some changes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, think about Dick Vitale, you know, start broadcasting games and, you know, Chick Hearn that would say, you know, that the, the, the ovens is hot, the, the eggs are scrambled or the milk is frosting, whatever. But, but that, that kept the fans, you know, engaged into uh, the sport, even though the sport was struggling, you know, over the years. So that kind of built, that's why I asked that question, rubbing and racing, because, you know, I've been to a NASCAR race in, in Phoenix, but as a sports fan, you see the camaraderiness in the pit where everybody's changing tires and getting. So I understand that part of it. And that's the fun part to watch uh, for me. Right. And not just racing around the track and over and going around and around and around. Right. It's the the fans excitement and it's the team effort that get that car out fast enough so they can still compete. And that's the art of the sport for me. It, it, it is such a, a, a team sport and you don't realize that when you're watching as, as Ralph says uh, going around in circles uh, but there's so much more to it certainly from Monday to Saturday as they prepare these cars for battle on Sunday afternoon and then when those teams that have prepared those cars get out and and so many times these races are determined by in the pit areas and how fast the driver right. can get on pit road get his four tires get his gas maybe a, a change to the chassis that makes the car behave a little better in the turns and get back out there in the lead. And so, so much happens in the pits and the teamwork element is so important, just like in so many other team sports. Chris, so what separates a Joe Gibbs from a Hendrick Motorsports? What separates the teams? I, I mean, it's like anything else, right? They just find a way to do something better. They develop talent better, recruit better. I mean, can you... Uh, draw a line between Hendrix and Gibbs and the successful people? The the line really you can draw is not so much between Hendrick and Gibbs because mm -hmm. they're two of the most successful racing organizations in the history of NASCAR. It more so is between a top team that has a lot of top drivers and can afford that. And with So mm -hmm. obviously they're well-funded. And then you have teams that are less well-funded because they haven't experienced as much as much success. So they're, they can't get the sponsorship dollars that the top teams can, but it all begins at, at the top. You, you mentioned Joe Gibbs. Mm -hmm. I mean, here's a guy who competed in the NFL for years and years as a coach. And, and when he came to NASCAR, he brought a whole different approach such that when they went out and sold a sponsorship to four or five different companies, instead of just thanking them and saying, we appreciate your money, now we'll go race. He brought those sponsors together, business to business arrangements, whereby uh, Home Depot was one of the big sponsors for a while and uh, Office Depot, and he got Home Depot and Office Depot doing business together mm. because of the relationship they had through Joe Gibbs Racing. And that just built more camaraderie among, among, among the sponsors and, and it built more passion to compete together to win. And uh, I'd say Joe Gibbs has been one of the most successful uh, owners in all of sports. And, and Rick Hendrick out of Charlotte has taken pretty much the same approach. He started years earlier than Gibbs, struggled early on, like a lot of these people do when they come mm -hmm. into racing. It took a long time to build the teamwork, 
but as soon as he got the right people in place, and it, you know, it's, it's about two things. It's about the right people, and that begins at the top, and then it's about money. You've got to be funded well enough to go out and compete, to have more than one race team. you got to have two or three different cars on the racetrack, and then those, those racing organ- entities themselves that are competing for the same team, same owner, they have to work together. Now, I look back at, at Dale Earnhardt when he was racing for Richard Childress uh, all those years in the 90s up until his death in 2001. Uh, he did not cotton well to the idea of having a teammate. He came from the old school where you had one owner, one driver, one crew chief, and, and a race team, uh, the, the, uh, the pit crew. And uh, he didn't like the idea of racing, of, of, of going out on the racetrack and having a, a teammate on the racetrack with him. And I can still remember one day at Daytona at the end of a press conference when they asked Dale about his teammate, uh, Mike Skinner. And he said, I ain't got no teammate. That was the last thing he said. He, he walked away from the podium. I ain't got no teammate and walked away. As NASCAR continues to grow, we want to continue to bring new people to it. And, and certainly our turn four, turn up is where we're going to t- have it take place. And it should be a lot of fun for everybody. You're listening to Center Court with Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation. Welcome back, Center Court Winter Circle Network. Great visit today with Chris Powell, who is President and General Manager of the Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Uh, worked at RJR in Winston-Salem for a lot of years, former sports writer. He's in a Hall of Fame. He, he, he's in the Nevada Sports Hall of Fame now, Ralph. So, you know, he's done it all uh, with the Vegas Motor Speedway. Uh, Chris, I think a, an easy question to ask is, how difficult, when you stepped into the position of running a NASCAR track, how difficult was it? Did you have a lot of stuff you had to fix? The, the speedway here in Las Vegas had been open for about three years when I got here. It, it changed hands. Some, some uh, casino uh, moguls had funded the construction of the speedway and uh, it opened in 1996. And then in late, very late 1998, Bruton Smith, uh, speedway magnate and, and car dealership magnate out of Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, was I was fortunate enough to receive a call from him saying, I just bought the Speedway in Las Vegas, and would you like to go out and run it? I'd been married, newly married for about a year, and I said, uh, it was a Friday afternoon, I said, uh, Mr. Smith, I'll, I'll call you on Monday to accept this job, but first, <laughs> but first I probably need to go home and tell my wife what it looks like yeah. moving to Las Vegas. Because, but uh, there were a lot of challenges early on, and I, I will admit, um, I mean, I had, I, I had, attended hundreds of NASCAR races during my 10 or 11 years at RJ Reynolds tobacco and working for the Winston brand and sports marketing enterprises. But so I'd, I'd attended a lot of races and I knew what I liked at racetracks and I knew what I didn't like, but I had never really managed a, a staff of a, a large staff of people. And uh, I will admit that I was uh, a micromanager early on. I, 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 attended all the meetings of the sales staff and I'd, I'd offer up some suggestions and things like that. And then I, the PR and marketing team would be meeting and I'd go to that meeting. <laughs> and in time it became apparent to me. And I had some, some people on the staff who, who nudged me in this direction, but it became apparent at some point 
then what I needed to do was make sure we hired good people and then stand back and let them go to work. People want to succeed. People want to do well in their jobs. They want to be rewarded for doing well. And really what I was doing by attending some of those event, those meetings was just getting in the way because it, it, when the boss is in the room, I think it takes on a different dynamic. I mean, I mm -hmm. still have bosses myself back in North Carolina. When the boss is in the room, it, it, it takes on a different dynamic. And so what I ultimately came to realize was if I would just sit in my office and wait for problems to walk in the door, <laughs> <laughs> then I could fix those problems. Uh, and Mr. Smith was kind enough early on to give me the latitude to try to fix the problems. But for the most part, just stay the heck out of the way. The PR guy wanted to be as good a PR guy as he could possibly be. The, the, the sales guy wanted to sell as many sponsorships and as many events as he possibly could. He didn't need me getting in the way. So, so over time, I came to realize that the, while we, we meet every Tuesday at 9 a.m., all the department heads, and we go over issues that are in front of us, and, and, and every department head speaks and what's going on in his department, which just, you know, enhances the amount of communication, uh, because we do have so many things going on here. I, I'm, it's hard to believe, but we have about a 1,400 event days a year wow. on this property, on, on, mm. so with 365 days in the year, that's obviously a lot of events going on at the same time, but we've got 14 different racetracks on this property. And, and we've got autonomous car companies here that are testing their vehicles so that one day they're going to be on the highways and the streets throughout this country. I think as we, as we see technology continue to advance. And uh, so we sell to all these car companies to come here and test their vehicles. When, when NASCAR is in Darlington or NASCAR is in Charlotte, like it is this week, mm -hmm. we're back here putting on events in Las Vegas. And because we're in this great city that we're in, that brings 42, 43 million people a year in tourism to Las Vegas, it's easy to get people to come here. Our favorable climate allows us to have people on racetracks here 52 weeks a year. And we do that. We, we, we sell this place and keep it humming at all times. Well, over time, as I was mentioning earlier, I just stand back and let the salespeople go and sell these events, let the PR guy promote them, let the marketing lady uh, sell these events to the, to the fans. And, you know, we have the occasional personnel issues like anyone does, but for the most part, the more I stand back and stay out of things, the, the better the smoother the, it gets the better yeah. the engine runs he's got to be a good general manager because he's got to hire the right people first sure, so sure. You, you learn how to do that first so you, you right. married the right woman because she accepted <laughs> the, the right. trip but you already made that decision so that was a good sale right there Mac he, he sold her to come there as well to make it happen but I, I'm just amazed now listening to you and, and 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 knowing the Vegas landscape a little bit but 1400 events a year. I mean, I would not think, I mean, I think the track is closed down. I mean, we've got a couple of races a year. It's not that big and everybody's going to watch. But for, that's, that's a lot of events and a lot of action going on there on a daily basis. How do you, I mean, how do you take all that in and manage that piece? Because it, it's massive. There really is. And, and I'll tell you what, one of the things that Mr. Smith and his son, Marcus, who is now our CEO, and they've, they've given us a lot of latitude to, to do a lot of things here. One of the things that I have so much an appreciation for is our salespeople are pretty much on commission. Mm 
I mean, we give them yeah. you know, maybe minimum wage uh, mm-hmm. is, that they're guaranteed, but they've, they've got to go out and sell. And so they are determined to go out and sell, not just sponsorships and suites and all the things that any sports venue is trying to sell, but also to sell these events. And so I, I, I remember one time that there was a, a line extension uh, that Jeep had called the Jeep Liberty. It was introduced here at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Mm. When I say introduced, they brought in, because one of our salespeople contacted Jeep, they brought in the Jeep people. They set up in the garage areas. And you think about a, a NASCAR garage looking thing, just a, just a, a shed with a, you know, a cover and, and then um, a couple of wrenches. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if when you walked in that garage during the Jeep Liberty uh, introduction, it, 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 it looked like the finest room you could ever imagine pipe and drape lights. And in one area, there would be a lights on the, uh, on the brake system and there would be somebody in. The, so all the people who were attending this were dealers, mm. Jeep dealers, the world over. And they're, they're showing the dealers, Jeep was showing the dealers how to sell, you know, when the Jeep Liberty, you, you tell the potential buyer, here's how the brakes work. Here's how we've improved on the brakes. Here's how we've improved on the transmission. Here's how we've improved the dashboard. And so all these things were in different little areas throughout our garage, but you'd never known you were in a garage. What you were in was something <laughs> that looked like the, the, the finest showroom you could, would ever find in Detroit. And so we had these salespeople that go out and sell these kinds of events. Uh, in 2010, and I'll just tell you something because this event just happened this past weekend. In 2010, there was a gentleman who for a dozen years or so had staged this thing at the LA Coliseum called the Electric Daisy Carnival. It brought tens of thousands of people to, to the Coliseum to listen to electronic dance music. And every, every year when they would have this event at the LA Coliseum, the football stadium, they would transport you know, 300 kids a night to the hospital because they had taken too much of something. And, and so finally, the, LA, the people who ran the LA Coliseum decided that they'd had enough of this event and they didn't think it should be in LA anymore. And so they told the promoter, that he needed to find somewhere else to go to stage the electric daisy carnival. One of our salespeople learned about that. And he, he, he went over and suggested that they consider Las Vegas Motor Speedway as the site of the electric daisy carnival, where we could have not 50 or 60,000 people attend per night for three nights. And they didn't have to stop at 1 a.m., but rather come to Las Vegas Motor Speedway <laughs> and where you can have 150,000 people a night Wow. And, and the, stay all the, night. The show can begin <laughs> at 10 p.m. and end at 6 a.m. This past Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, we hosted the Electric Daisy Carnival, 170,000 young people. And we set up, in effect, a hospital, like a mass unit, for these kids who might have taken too much ecstasy or might have taken this, wow. or maybe had too much to drink. And we don't transport, we hardly ever transport anybody to the hospital because we take care of them. We have them taken mm-hmm. care of right here on the property. Inside our mile and a half oval, but you can see behind me, would, were eight different stages, all with DJs playing music. And it's, it's just, and 25 
carnival rides all inside this oval and 170,000 people. It who, is absolutely- Who orchestrated that, man? <laughs> wow. They got three stages, they got carnival rides, they got 170,000 people. Oh, come on. Do, do me a favor. When we're done today, and for those of the, those yeah. people who might be listening, Google Electric Daisy Carnival. I'm going and, to. And, and yeah. watch the trailers. It is one of the most incredible events. And I've been to a lot of events in my life. One of the most incredible events I've ever attended. And, and when you see in front of the main stage, 40,000 people doing this at one time to the EDM, it is one amazing thing. And they do they do drones up in the sky with doing a show with different formations. Uh, it is an absolutely amazing event. Wow. But, but, but because one of our salespeople who is mm -hmm. commissioned went out and sold that event to come to Las Vegas. Well, on Monday, after all the traffic had cleared, we had had an absolutely just the most incredibly successful event you could ever imagine. Now the media comes to me on Monday and says, Mr. Powell, can we get the Electric Daisy Carnival back next year? And wow. I said, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Three -year deal. And that three-year deal has now just ended its 11th year. These are the kinds of things that, you know, because these salespeople are commissioned, they're thinking outside the box to try to go out and bring events yeah. to this speedway. And that, that's why these autonomous vehicle companies are here. If they redo the racetrack, that it's going to change things. But uh, I don't know that Chris Powell has an engineering degree or anything like that in how to build racetracks. Uh, you know, if you look at how many cars crashed yesterday, not only in the Bush Series, but the Cup Series, too, it's, uh, it's an indication this track isn't very much fun right now to be on. The Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation present Center Court with Ralph Sampson. Uplift. Empower. Educate. Welcome back. It is Center Court on the Winter Circle Network on a racing weekend and a racing week. And uh, Chris Powell is our guest. He is president and general manager of Las Vegas Motor Speedway. And Chris, uh, circling back with all the things that you are responsible for in your 1400 events and in some of the innovations of NASCAR through the years has been so fan friendly there. You had to have success, I would think, as a as a culture. Right. One of the things that we have tried to do, especially since NASCAR took that little dip back in the late 2000 aughts, was uh, to make it so that the experience of attending a NASCAR race, that once you got into your seat to sit and, and the green flag was about to fall, that with the hope was that you have already gotten your money's worth prior to the race beginning. So we, we're doing things it used to be called the midway. Now it's called the fan engagement zone. Mm. We're, we're doing things out on the midway where people come up. Not only are they able to buy the merchandise for all the drivers, which creates such an emotional tie for the fans as they go into the racetrack, but also they're, they're seeing bands, rock and roll and country music bands. And uh, we've even gone to, we were doing some hip hop things because the fans are, uh, these young fans that are coming along in the NASCAR now, and we're trying to appeal to everyone. What we're doing is it was entertainment out on the midway so that when you come to the racetrack, you have a lot of fun in the two hours prior to the green flag falling. When you sit down, you feel like you've already been entertained for uh, uh, with your money's worth. And then you throw in a NASCAR race. And we were talking earlier about rubbing is racing. <laughs> and, you know, one of the things about NASCAR that differentiates it from IndyCar racing and Formula One is that in NASCAR, those fenders kind of cover up where the wheels are and the tires are. So they can bump each other out on the racetrack to move a guy out of the way to pass him. Whereas <laughs> you do that in an open wheel car, 
both cars are going to go spinning into the wall and their day is over with. But in NASCAR, you can do some bumping out there. And uh, yes, the fans are sitting in the grandstands and they're listening to Kyle Busch or Kyle Larson or Kurt Busch, whoever it might be. They're listening to them talk to their teams on the radio and they, they're all the time saying colorful things uh, to their teams about other drivers on the racetrack. And they're discussing tr strategies, how many tires are going to change when they come into the race, into the pits. So there's so much going on from an entertainment standpoint. It's kind of like a baseball game. A 2-0 pitch is different from a 3-1 pitch. is different from an 0-2 pitch. Mm. Same kind of thing. And it, one thing about NASCAR, it's fairly simple. Once you attend a couple of races, get the sights, the sounds, and even the smells, it offers up so much excitement and there's so much strategy going on and it's fun to follow. Chris, with all the, the sponsorships, of course, NASCAR was so famous and you know, the uniforms are covered in, you know, 30 patches and the hood and the measuring the return on investment. I've always wanted to ask that question. How did all these people, you know, the M&Ms and the Mars, and I know they're leaving, but the Toyotas and the, you know, all this, but how did they measure a return on investment? Well, with sales, it is, it is all tied to sales, but it's not just tied strictly to sales. Mm. It is tied to shelf space. In other words, uh, a company, say a convenience store company can go out and, and, uh, or, or, a, let, let's just say a, a vendor can go out and have a sponsorship. And they say to this convenience store, if you will, we'll, we'll bring you uh, Kyle Bush to be at your convenience store or a series of convenience stores, uh, on the Thursday before your race. And we'll bring the show car out and give you that exposure and in, in return, we'll get better shelf space in your convenience store. So there, there's all kinds of behind the scenes, uh, business to business opportunities that are going on out there. And, uh, you know, you, you, you take a driver who's a, especially you take a guy like Jeff Gordon, who's so good with fans and with sponsors. Mm -hmm. And when he was racing and he would go uh, say DuPont was his big sponsor for a number of years. And he would make appearances for on behalf of DuPont uh, with their vendors and people they're trying to appeal to. So that you had so many things going on behind the scenes. Uh, these drivers, uh, you know, sponsorship is the lifeblood of motorsports. Yep. If you don't have sponsorship, you're not going to race. And there's that old saying money buys speed. So the more you can do to endear yourself to the sponsors, the better those, off those sponsors are going to be, and that's going to tie back to them selling more products. The more products they sell, the more likely they are to, to continue to sponsor. And it's just a, a circle that, that keeps, keeps on going, and the successful ones keep those sponsorships for years and years, the way Jeff Gordon did with DuPont for all those mm -hmm. years, mm -hmm. and uh, the way Dale Earnhardt did with Chevy and Goodwrench. And uh, it's, it's fun to watch, and, and it's, it's, it's interesting the behind-the-scenes issues that are going on in order to, to, to just create business. And, and that's what it's all about. Because you said it earlier, those, those fans have an affinity with not only the driver, but the car right? and all the brands that the driver sponsors, it could be right. M&Ms or whatever. Oh, I, I know because Jeff Gordon or somebody sponsored, you see that. So from a marketing perspective, right? So if Jeff Gordon has 10 brands, and this is a M&M's event. Those 10 brands are going with him wherever he goes. That's right. So it's a lot of cross-marketing as well. But the magnitude, and I think I saw it in the NBA, because the NBA now has, but you, know, you got you get one patch on the jersey 
Right. It used to be none, but that's $25 million a year on one patch on the jersey, one patch on the right. jersey in the, in the NBA team. Give them a few years, there'll be more patches. Oh, I, I'll guarantee you. <laughs> it's going to be on the back next or one of the jerseys. It's going to be another one sooner or later for sure. I mean, you think about all the all the salary that go up. It's got to be a couple more patches on that jersey somewhere. That's and right. NASCAR, and NASCAR has been the leader of that, though. They, they've been mentioning their sponsors uh, in the post-race interviews for all those years. And and uh, now I've noticed that even the golfers are doing it now on the pay Oh, PPA absolutely. Tour, yeah. Making reference to their sponsors. You're yep. seeing more patches on their shirts. Exactly. Uh, and they're being compared to NASCAR drivers. But you know what? That's what makes it go. I mean, you got to have sponsorship to make these yeah. things go. And, and, and uh, we've been very fortunate here in Las Vegas to have had a number of great sponsors. We've... We've got some hotel casinos here in town that have been very supportive. Michael Gone and the South Point Hotel Casino and Spa right here in Las Vegas, one of the most successful uh, casino operations, hotel operations in, in Las Vegas. They've been very supportive. And we've got Shell Pennzoil sponsoring our spring NASCAR event. We've, we've, uh, we've been very fortunate to appeal to some great sponsors to come in here and have not only a presence during race weekend, but to help us promote the event in the weeks and months leading up to those events. Uh, Carol Shelby with the Shelby Mustang was sponsoring our event for, for a few years. I mean, we've, we've done some creative things here, thanks to our salespeople and, uh, and marketing people. And, and it's, it's, it's fun to watch it go, but sponsorship certainly is the lifeblood of most Like sure. we, we, we have our own Jeff Gordon here because he just gave like 10 <laughs> slameless plugs for different sponsors. Maybe we can get him on the show and hang out with him from that perspective as well. But that, but that, Ralph, that was, even you, that was you pretty know, cool. If, if anybody, and you don't even have to follow racing to know that STP was Richard uh, Petty. And, and, and Richard, you don't know. It's, it's, I mean, it's a brand. Because it was on his car forever and every yeah. highlight you saw. So yeah. it's, it's amazing. Your next event's in October, right? Our next big event uh, in October, we'll have NHRA, our second of the year, our NHRA national event in mid-October. Two weeks later, uh, excuse me, I'm sorry, that's uh, the last weekend in October on Halloween weekend. The two weeks prior to that, October 14, 15, 16 is the South Point 400. It'll be yeah. in the NASCAR playoffs, and we'll have somewhere upwards of 60 or so thousand people here in the grandstands. And Hope we can give them a great entertaining weekend, a Friday truck uh, uh, ARCA mm. race and a Saturday Xfinity race and a Sunday cup race. And it's a lot of fun planning. I mean, we, we plan for these events 51 weeks a year to, to put them on on the 52nd week and, and make sure we keep a lot of fans happy and sponsors happy and, and bring everybody back uh, a few months later. Uh, what, what's the next step? What, what's the next evolution of NASCAR in your mind? What are you Good working question. on for the future? Technology-wise or track-wise, because you got to keep it reinventing yourself every year. What's next? Good well, question. you're right, and I think what you're going to see in time is, uh, you know, these these Teslas that are out on the road now, these electronic vehicles, these battery-operated vehicles. I was in a Tesla recently with my son, and I could not believe the pickup that thing has yeah. got. I was floored by it, <laughs> and I think you're going to see electronic vehicles racing in NASCAR here in the, uh, in the not too distant future. I don't know that it will be in the, in the, in the primary series that NASCAR has. Uh, and then down the road, there might even be room for autonomous vehicles. Those driverless cars that are wow. competing. Uh, we even had an IndyCar type event here back in December, uh, where a bunch of colleges created their own autonomous vehicles and brought them out and competed with them while 
fans sat in the stands and not many because we didn't do a lot of marketing behind right. it, but they were competing in autonomous vehicles. One of them spun out, got going too fast and hit the wall. Uh, but you know, you're going to see autonomous, excuse me, vehicles, uh, uh, competing somewhere down the road, maybe in our lifetimes. And, uh, it's amazing the technology that, that NASCAR, I mean, just over the years that, that NASCAR has, you know, the, all these cars today have that little, looks like a shark fin antenna. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. That started with Jack Roush and Mark Martin wanting to have just a little camera up there so they could go back after the race and watch all the moves that he was making. And they realized that thing didn't do much from a, from a wind, uh, 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 aerodynamic standpoint. And, uh, now you see all these cars now have that little shark. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. You know, and that started in NASCAR right there at Roush racing in North Carolina. So there's all kinds of uh, technology that spawned from NASCAR and these motorsports events. Uh, I want to invite you guys now. I'm telling you, I'd love I'm to coming, man. I'll be way say, too good. Well, I was going to say your old adversary, Michael Jordan is now a, an owner of one of these race teams. <laughs> and, uh, maybe, maybe we may get two cars and I can race him. You know, I don't know. <laughs> oh, I, can bump asked, him, I can bump him a little bit. You yeah. Know? <laughs> and you asked if a seven, four guy could compete. Uh, Brad Darty competed in NHRA draft. I know, I know, I know. Larry yeah. Nance. And Larry Nance. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. exactly right. Chris, thank you so much. Uh, good luck. And and maybe I can talk Ralph into a $40,000 simulator. At least he could practice. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so, uh, really appreciate it. Great stuff. Um, again, have a wonderful summer and uh, keep pushing and we'll talk to you very soon. Thank you, Mac. Thank you, thank you Ralph. I'm honored to have been here. Thank you so much. Center Court on the Winter Circle Network returns right after this. To get into sports casting, you need experience just to get your foot in the door. I can't tell you how many times in my career somebody will ask me, how do I get into your business? How do I become a sportscaster? The first thing I ask is, what have you done? Do you have any experience? And the answer is normally nothing yet. It's because they couldn't find a program that provided the real world experience that you need to get started. So I set out to create a program designed for the next wave of sportscasting talent. And my partner was an obvious one. Full Sail University, great track record in entertainment and media, great alumni group, and the ability to evolve as the industry changes. We're offering a bachelor's degree that combines the professional expertise that my fellow sportscasters and I have built our careers on with the technologies shaping the world of sports. To succeed in this business, you have to be ready for what's next. But the core of great sportscasting I don't think will ever change. And this program brings it all together. Denny Hamlin, in round one, was able to win the first race and guarantee him a spot in the next round. He's going to do it in round two. Hamlin's going to win at Vegas. Yeah, Vegas, baby. What a performance by this 11 team. The Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation present Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball star Ralph Sampson. Again, here's Ralph and Mac. Welcome back, Center Court Winter Circle Network. And uh, Ralph, that was uh, about as educational as it gets. And uh, there are so many other questions, you know, regarding NASCAR. They're facing what they call now a growth curve. Uh, they're worried about TV uh, ratings. They're worried about some, you know, the drop in attendance. Um, the last five years, and I don't want to diminish the interview because I like to keep things positive, but there's been a 50% viewership drop the last five years. And that's why in the first segment, when I thought when Chris was talking about 
the culture and the change. I really do compare it to when you stepped into the NBA. It wasn't in the early 80s. There were some NBA issues, right? Yeah, there was NBA issues before I got to the NBA. And you, you hit the evolution of Magic Johnson and Larry Bird changed the, the face of the NBA in 1979-80 mm -hmm. when they played to, uh, against each other in the NCAA tournament. Now, now what has happened back over the years, and maybe it's with NASCAR as well, is this one and done stuff in the NBA and, you know, trying to find out who the iconic player that has a fan base, uh, you know, that, that watches you on television or, or now it's just all about social media, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have the social media, the fans can follow you. But think about Jeff Gordon, Aaron Hart, you know, uh, Richard Petty, all those guys had a good fan base. And I don't know, you know, maybe we can get him back on one of these days, but I don't know how many of those race car drivers today have that good fan base like like the Jeff Gordon had. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, I mean, like I said, Richard Petty, we talked about it earlier, STP. So you knew the brand and the driver. Oh, yeah. But today, I don't know if you know that. I don't know if that, that it's like that anymore. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think the real, real diehards. But yeah, it gets, you know, it gets filtered down and what has happened. There's no doubt that NASCAR is trying to, um, you know, build a new fan base. I mean, if you ask probably the average NASCAR fan right now, like, who, who, what company or who has won the last two NASCAR right. championships and Chase Elliott and Kyle Larson don't have, unless you're a real diehard, unless you follow it every Sunday, you know, and again, became, you're, you're not, you're not iconic, but you play with the cowboy hat and the sunglasses. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Those two names I wouldn't even recognize right now from a NASCAR standpoint, but the, the brand Richard Petty, everybody knows Richard Petty with the glasses and the hat Absolutely. and the walk and the talk. Absolutely. No, and, and, and Jeff Gordon, the same way. You know, it's going to be fun now to see what happens over the summer and as it gets closer to uh, to Chris's event, which will be in October. I mean, the big event when he has his, his big race, event. races. Uh, and 1,400 events later, right? Yeah, he's got drag races out there. Anyway, hey, I hope you have a, a good week. We've got a lot of good things coming up. Dan Patrick is on the radar. Curtis Strange, two-time U.S. Open winner, is going to be with us very soon. And some, and some <laughs> guests potentially uh, for the NBA uh, finals. So we, Perfect. stay tuned for that. Perfect. I love it. For Ralph Sampson, I'm Mac McDonald, and that's Center Court for this week on the Winner's Circle Network. You've been listening to Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Our podcast is available on the Believe Network at BLEAV.com. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation. For more information, log on to SampsonFamilyFoundation.org. Uplift. Empower. Educate. Teamwork makes the dream work. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.